the blast from our past network. Talking back. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Talking Back, the podcast where we like to chat about past achievements in movies, comics, video games, and more. I'm your host, Tim, and this week we are covering the comic book saga, Volume 2. And Dean, welcome. Thank you, Tim. Are you ready to saga it up? Oh, for sure. Yeah, to the too. ends of the Earth. <laughs> oh, and then beyond, into the galaxy. And, and the, beyond, yeah. the streets yeah, of the galaxy. The yeah, you bet. Uh, cool. Hey, we have a couple of special guests this week. Now, these guys joined us on our Event Horizon episode, and they joined us on our Saga Volume 1 episode. So we just thought, hey, we're doing Saga Volume 2. Let's have these guys back. Right? That's Makes a sense. great a great idea. Yeah. Um, I came up with that one, so. <laughs> of course, you come up with all the ideas. I have pat myself on the back. Um, <laughs> anyways, we have Tony and Jeremy from Remote Takes. Guys, welcome. Oh, thanks for having us. Really excited to be here. Yeah, thanks. Uh, Tim and Dean, you guys are awesome. And it does make sense. I don't think you can do a volume of Saga without us. I think exactly. that's true. I think if yeah. if the first volume told us anything, it's that we can't do it without you. So we're not even going to yeah. try. We that's just... why we held off. That's why we <laughs> yeah. haven't done it for so long. We're like, how do we even proceed from here? Where do we go? We hit, yeah. the, we hit the peak. Just doesn't work. It doesn't work without yeah. us. Right. I get it. Yeah. I was reading volume two and I was just like, man, I really wish Tony and Jeremy were here right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Turn the page for you and everything. <laughs> yeah. So that's where it all started. Yeah. Cool. Um, I really enjoyed this volume, guys. I, I actually enjoyed it more than the first volume. And oh, cool. I, just, I think it's because the story's evolving uh, in some mm -hmm. really nice ways. I really like that they're continuing the story. They're continuing with all these characters that we fell in love with in the first volume, but they're really like raising the stakes at the same time. So I, I just think they did a really good job with this volume. I think I actually remember having some beefs with the first volume, knowing that they'd probably get worked out the further we went in the story and it's already happening. So, mm -hmm. um, actually, yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, what do you, what do you guys think? Dean, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I love this volume. Um, I think it, I, I've read the first one the most, um, just because I always, you know, go back to the first one, start it again. Like I'm going to read through the whole series again and then end up just like not <laughs> doing that. Um, but this one, yeah, I, I loved it. I, uh, I, I think I'm saying with you, Tim, that just like building the characters and giving the characters more depth, like a lot of my favorite characters, I just get a lot of in this volume and I get a lot more of them. Like I get a little bit more uh, deep with them. So I, I just fully enjoy um, every single issue in this one. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you on that, Dean. Um, basically, I feel like they they did a good job of introducing not too many new characters, too. Like they, they have one or two added in there and, um, it was just such an easy read for me. I reread this, um, a week ago and then I reread this again today to try to feel as prepared as I could to talk about saga with, with you guys. And it was a breeze both times. It was just, it was effortless. And I do feel the first volume 
as much as I like it and as much as I've read it, that one seems to take more effort and seems to take more time um, for me to read. Whereas this is just kind of like we're in it, you know, um, things yeah, are established totally. and 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 everything's just progressing forward. So, yeah, agreed. Uh, Jeremy, what about you? Hated the whole thing. Man. This <laughs> no, is the worst didn't. thing. This ever. is no, this is didn't. where you dropped off. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I. Uh, so it made me feel like the first volume was just scratching the surface, right? Like they added so much context, and when you add context and you build characters, you get emotional responses from uh, from the from the viewer. And there are some emotional moments here in volume two. And they're absolutely created by the context that they that they give us, like right from the beginning, like right from volume seven or episode, uh, issue seven. They really get to it. I, I love the volume. It's great. Yeah, well said. So this volume was released in 2013 and along with volume one and every other volume in the series, it only has two people working on it. It's Brian K. Vaughn writing and Fiona Staples doing everything art, which, uh, oh, I mean, I think we, we probably mentioned it in the first volume. I'll mention it now. We'll probably mention it on every volume. That's amazing that two people mm -hmm. are making uh, like a comic book of this caliber. It's almost unheard of. Yeah, and, and for it to be as long-winded as this comic's supposed to be, the expected amount of issues, and that they it is only going to be those two creating the comic and no guest artists, no guest writing. It's, it's them. Um, I think that's phenomenal. And that's also why we'll get arcs and then we'll get a break. And then we had, we've just gotten over the big break that was supposed to be a year <laughs> and ended up being three years, you know, as, oh my God. as the, you know, as we keep going through these volumes, We'll get to a stopping point, but they got to issue, what is it, 52? Uh, or is it 54, um, Jeremy? Is it 52? 54. Oh, yeah. 54 was a halfway point? Yeah, that's, yes. Okay. I almost spoiled it. Yeah. Like, I was like, and that's when this happened, but I, of course yeah. it <laughs> Yeah, and the, the thing that happened was they stopped. Um, <laughs> they stopped <laughs> making them. And that was supposed to be a, a year break because they just kind of needed to step away. Usually it's a month to three months, depending on what they need, because they do have it come out monthly. Um, and, you know, for the artist and, and writer that takes a toll doing that month to month. And so, sure. yeah, I, I think it's phenomenal that they that they've continued this and that they've restarted it and are going to, um, you know, finish this epic yarn or story. I mean, it gives it, it gives it, I mean, I'm not a regular comic book reader and I know I'm different from you guys, but I imagine that keeping it with these, uh, these two, three artists, um, cause the colorer, right. Um, I don't know what his name is. I'm sorry. Um, but keeping them with these three people must give it some consistency, right. And predictability. And when the quality is already so high, I think that's, I think that's an advantage. I think it's. It's amazing. I mean, the the art is great and the story's awesome. So, well, correct me if I'm wrong. I thought Fiona Staples was doing the coloring as well. Is she not? Is there a colorist in the book? I I think I think there is. No, there's no? there is a I'm lettering sorry. and design. I think lettering oh, might be switched. I apologize. Might be switched out. 
but I apologize. I, I think um, the only reason I know that is because in some of the like back pages of these issues, uh, they, I think they did a breakdown of how she like did her page and it was, she just like laid the background color first and had some sketches and she was kind of showing how she just like layered the image. So it seems like she actually doesn't even do it like in a traditional way where you would like pencil ink and then color. She's just straight like drawing and coloring all at the same time. Oh my God. Wow. That's that's amazing. My first. Thanks for correcting me because wow, that's awesome. No, I I have to see that sometime. What is it on YouTube or it's in it's in the it's in just the, in, in the one issues of the itself. issues at the end of end of one of the issues yeah there's like a little tutorial that she's kind of giving it's very cool very cool always happy to correct you jeremy Ooh, sorry <laughs> <laughs> you think i know what i'm talking I'm about i'm sitting here with the issue otherwise. well with the volume <laughs> well see that's the thing that makes it so amazing is because uh go ahead and try to find another comic book where like the inker or penciler also does the coloring yeah, you know, they just don't really exist. So unless it's very indie, but this is this is as mainstream as it can get. Mm-hmm. So quick synopsis of what happened in volume one is that our main characters Anna, sorry, hell, Anna. <laughs> Jeez, what, 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 what kind of book are you reading? <laughs> Alana and Marco are deserters from opposing armies of a galactic war, while in hiding on the planet Cleave. Alana gives birth to their daughter, but the new family soon becomes the target for agents working for both sides of the war. So that's very high level, but, you know, probably enough just to, you know, throw us into volume two. So the volume starts out with Alana and Marco on the run still from these agents and kind of. I guess not really out of nowhere because I think it was the cliffhanger of volume one, but Marco's parents suddenly appear on the ship they're on and they want to help. And they make a point of showing us from the parents' point of view how tragic it was on their side of the war. So they they dig into that really early, early. They want you to know that, you know, their side suffered deeply. And then they immediately meet Alana and this new baby for the first time. So they would 100% look at Alana as the enemy and would wonder at that moment, like, why would Marco be fraternizing with the enemy? Tony, I wanted to ask you, like, what did you think of this moment with the parents just kind of randomly showing up on the ship sort of out of nowhere and, and you know, what transpires? So for me, it was a great cliffhanger, but it also disturbed me because uh, my favorite character when reading through volume one was the babysitter. Um, Isabel. Isabel. Yes. And her being for what I took at the time, especially cause I, these were the six issues that I read, you know, as they came out was like, Oh cool. My favorite character is now dead, you know, in this, <laughs> like no one is safe in, in this, in this world. I mean, it, it that's truly the case uh, in saga, but it was heartbreaking for me. Um, and even it was such a like pivotal moment that as we're going to go through volume two, I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot some I forgot what happens in volume two um, with uh, Isabel. So but yeah, it was it was just kind of a, a big 
good cliffhanger moment. And then they were like, hey, see you in three months, deuces. So. (laughs) (laughs) I I love like how they came in. Like they used magic to get in there Mm -hmm. and they had these helmets. They were called the crash helm. And that, I guess, just allows you to kind of transport wherever you want. So uh, I just, you know, this this book is obviously full of really interesting ideas. And we'll, we'll touch on lots of them going through this. But this was one of them, just this helmet that you can transport anywhere. And they said that they sold their house to get them. Like they just gave yeah. up everything they had to get these helmets so that they could find Marco. So, yeah. I like the the speed at which uh, stuff happens kind of right at the beginning because you have you have that cliffhanger of Marco's parents showing up and then immediately like Marco puts on a helmet, you know, slashes through whatever he needs to do to uh, teleport somewhere and then his mother follows. So now mm-hmm. we're stuck just with with father-in-law and Alana on the rocket ship and it's just this cool tension already. It's a bottle episode, right? Like, you bottle those two up, bottle those two up. They go on adventures. They give us context. Uh, and, yeah, it's awesome. I, yeah. I, I think that's great. Like, right, it's really fast. Just a couple a couple scenes, and they're off uh, on another adventure. Yeah, that's pretty great. This would have made Tony feel really good because um, as soon as Marco realizes what these helmets are, he throws one on, and he's going after Isabel. He's going to save yep. her. And the mother says, oh, I didn't kill her. I just sent her away to this planet. So he's like, okay, well, see ya. I'm going to get her. So that was cool. Yeah. And I, I like the idea that he can just sort of like cut through reality to tr- to transport there. It's like, it's something that um, uh, like the in X-Men magic does. She has a sword that can cut through and then she like kind of mm-hmm. transports through it. And I just love that idea that you carry around a sword and you can kind of just cut to teleport somewhere. Yeah, I love science fiction because they don't have to explain any of this. Yeah, yeah exactly. You don't have to know how things work. You're like, it just has to look cool. And yeah. they did that. That's a yeah, good point. It's science they- fiction mixed with magic too, right? So they really don't yeah. have to explain oh, anything at all. So good. There's no <laughs> yeah. rules. And they don't. They don't take a single second to explain anything in this book. They're just like, here no. it is. And yeah. now we're moving on to the next one. You know, that has to have, they have to have feel like they have so much freedom to do just yeah. whatever the hell they want. That's so great. Yeah. So Marco and his mother, they go after Isabel to this planet and they meet Fard on this planet. Everybody's <laughs> do. favorite uh. secondary character of the volume, Fard. <laughs> so what a significant. Great, Jeremy, what did you think? Or, you know, actually try to explain to the listeners what exactly fard is sure so when marco and his mother clara if i'm right uh get to this place uh they're heaped on the ground uh they must have fell or something and marco looks up and there's this giant ogre of a creature but what's startling is the size of this creature's testicles <laughs> not penis no. but testicles and he says to clara his mom don't look up mom <laughs> <laughs> and of course she eventually does and it's disgusting but it was i loved it it was it was hilarious obviously those giant testicles are like burned into my brain yep. and i had forgotten about them until i reopened it <laughs> and i'm like oh yeah it's fard yeah and yeah, there's some warts there's some warts <laughs> yeah. on there too oh, it's not oh, yeah, just definitely. like these giant 
you know. It's got to be hard to clean those things. Yeah. I don't think he cares about cleaning those things. Oh, no, God. I don't think so. I don't think so either. I love how it's laid out on the page because it's a full page spread. You're coming yep. from an earlier page. You turn the page and there's Fard. He And he is a giant. He's, he's fucking huge. He's like three or four <laughs> stories tall. But you're like when you turn the page, you're at eye level with his testicles. <laughs> Just the way that Fiona Staples drew it. It's like here, you're looking right at it. Perfect. Well played, Fiona. Well played. Well imagine, played, yeah. Imagine, had you, could you imagine the description that he would have oh, had yeah. given in the story? <laughs> Giant monster with testicles. Great. Uh, I did actually think about that. I was like, what? Yeah, what would those, those notes look like to get Fiona to draw this? Yep. I love the name, too. I don't know why. Fard. It's just Fard. A, it's a strong yeah, name. I'm, it's a strong it name. It works. It does work. It, yeah. I would assume. I'm like, of course, Fard. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You'd almost just name him that if you didn't know, right? I like mean, if you just had to come up with something, you'd be like, so I don't know, fart. It was probably fart. Totally. I feel like it's fart mixed with yeah. like what he's missing, which is like, you know, he's all balls and no dick. So, you know, it's right. kind yeah. of those two things together. Ugh. Yeah. Or like nards, you know, because yeah. your your eyes go to the nards. Yeah. It's all yeah. that. Mix of fart and nard. Yeah. <laughs> awesome uh i wonder if that picture will make our uh instagram we'll see it should (laughs) we'll see what happens should tim (laughs) what does dean look like out of the shower take a look (laughs) do a side by side you won't be able to tell oh yeah who who wore it better (laughs) who dangles best yeah okay Uh. um so Alana and Marco's father are on the ship together while all this is happening down on the planet. Uh, like Jeremy mentioned, they've just kind of bottled these these um, sets of characters. And it was very interesting because Alana sort of had the ship tie up Marco's father just to kind of restrain him because like they're really they really are on different sides of the war. So you could feel a little bit uneasy in that situation. So she restrains him and then this ship, as we know from the last volume, if you tell it a secret, it'll like do something that you want or, or like a way to power the ship to do what you want is to tell it a secret that you haven't told anybody else before. I think that's I think that's the magic that uh, Barr brings. He can cast a spell and she's familiar with it because Marco cast the same spell in volume one and he needed to have us and there needs to be a secret. OK, yeah. OK, cool. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, Thanks for clarifying yeah. that. Yeah, you always that. need like an ingredient for a spell and the one to make like the vines disappear is a secret. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. So she's kind of like jabbing him like, oh, you know, you, you can't get out of the vines because you don't have a secret. You know, I'm sure you've told everybody everything. And he drops the bomb that he's going to die in less than a month. And he hasn't told anybody that. So that's that was like already tough for i mean kind of i don't know why because we just met these characters we don't even know marco's father we know nothing about them but i guess just the way that the way they develop these characters in such a short amount of time you already do feel sad for for his marco's father here it's true they do open up this issue with a flashback to 
when uh, Marco was a kid and during the war. So you, you do have a little bit of context, but yeah. Yeah. I, I like this part. I like that he tells Alana the secret. Um, I, I don't think it's just to get out of the vines. I mean, it is, but I think it's also to get it off his chest. Sure. Um, because I, it is, it is far easier when you have something very, you know, sort of uh, sad news to tell, something very emotional. It's hard to tell the people that are closest to you because then they're going to feel bad. So you just know what it's going to be like and all that sadness is going to surround you. It's kind of easier to tell someone you just met. Um, because then you can at least connect with them a little bit and you can tell them this and they won't have that sort of reaction that everyone who's closest to you will have. So I, I really like this. Which he kind of says too. He says um, that he didn't want to say because he doesn't want to live his last month with uh, depression and pity, you know, sadness. Yeah. Uh, he wants exactly. to enjoy it as best he can. That was another thing that like really endeared him to me because the mom through the issue, you're kind of getting this attitude, you know, this um, bickering with Marco. And, and I'm thinking, ooh, the dad could be just as bad and be trying to m maybe hurt, um, you know, Al Alana. And yeah, it just um, really endeared me to Barr, I think his name is, because um, yeah. they make yeah. a joke about that in a later issue. <laughs> so great joke. I'm sure we'll get to it. Yeah. Um, another thing that is really endearing is he basically lets you know that all he wants to do with his last month, like the reason he's there, the reason that the mom is there is only to help Marco. That's their mm -hmm. only purpose is all they care about is him. They don't care about anything else. They don't care about their house. They sold it. They yeah, don't care about their the lives. They'll, they'll sacrifice them. They just want to help Marco, you know, survive. So I I think that's really great. Really great writing. Yeah. Same. It kind of makes you think, where were they when he was in the camp, you know, in volume one? Uh, but. <laughs> yeah, you know, it'd, it'd yeah. be interesting to see some sort of side story, but maybe they were getting those helmets to help them. It's absolutely you know, true. Be, there could be, yeah, who knows? Very interesting though, yeah. Um, So we, we get a flashback here now where we get to see how Marco and Alana met. And Dean, I want to ask you about this backstory with the two of them. What did you think of all that? Because I, it's kind of interesting. I love it. I I love love, Tim. I love love stories. <laughs> Double I love, heart. I love. Yeah, I love like. Uh, Good for you, Dean. When my when my two <laughs> when my two favorite characters who are in love, I get to watch how it happened. Like I, I really liked it. I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, I, I like that the sort of. Uh, prisoner aspect to it that marco was alana's prisoner and they kind of bonded over thinking the war's stupid or thinking the war's meaningless and I, I like that they're sort of both pacifists even though they're just in the war and she's you know an officer and, and it's yeah it what i think it's done so well that in the in a moment where you know we, we know it's coming we know that she's going to let him go because we've seen them together already uh, it still was impactful to me in that moment. Like it's still, when it happened, it still got to me, even though I sort of knew it was, that's where we were headed. Um, so I think it was really, uh, it was, it was nice. It was a nice meet cute as they say in the book. Yeah. Yeah. They do say that <laughs> as she's hitting him in the face with the butt end of yeah. a rifle. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Telling him yeah. to shut up or something like <laughs> yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. Fun. Now we go to meet the agency that was in charge of the assassins who were hired, like these assassins that were hired to find Marco and Alana. 
and we see the guy running the agency. And this dude knows how to live. His office is a desk on a tiny little sand island surrounded by water everywhere. And it's just a paradise. This is where he works out of. Uh, I mean, like... Good that space. was me working from home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I would take this job. I don't even care what this job would be. I would take it in yeah. a second. Yeah. yeah. He seems to be getting yelled at on the phone. I don't care. Yell at How me on the phone. I'm care? on a beach. Yeah. 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 I'd just be like, yeah, yeah, cool, man. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, it's all good. I'll, I'll look into that after my after I snorkel for six hours. He looks like he he looks like he's a good swimmer though you know yeah he, he looks like he might he be like an aquatic yeah an aquatic species <laughs> a seahorse yeah <laughs> exactly now as it turns out Marco has an ex that he was very close with and her name is Gwendolyn and she's the one who hired the will and the stock to capture them. And she is not pleased by their performance. She paid good money for these assassins who have failed so far. So she's come to chat to this guy at the agency about it. And I really just love Gwendolyn. I, I love the way she looks. Um, I love the element of drama that she brings to this book. I thought it was Revenge. A, a great addition. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Revenge, hatred. I love that. It was kind of like unexpected as well. I wasn't yeah. expecting that. Well, we knew, remember, in volume one, uh, when Marco is, gets like hit or whatever and he's passing out, he's like, tell Gwendolyn that I, like I love her. I forgot the exact quote, but like, and then like Gwendolyn, that was a cliffhanger for one of the he, issues. He yeah. said that to Alana, right? Yeah. 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 And who the fuck is Gwendolyn? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> We finally get to meet her. And again, this is where this volume, I think, does a great job of not introducing too many characters, but introducing a character with a strong presence, um, well-developed, and, I mean, again, propels the story forward in many ways, I think. so. For sure. Now, this is probably a good point for me to make now, or a good thing to talk about at this point. Um, so when Marco and Alana are in the uh, camp, you know, when he's all tied up, is the reason he can talk to her because he has the translation ring? He, she stole so. it back for him. Yes. They, they yeah. briefly mention like when they come to kill me or come to take me, take this ring and spread this yeah. story. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so he has it. So wasn't it fitting that the only way that Alana and Marco could fall in love because they can communicate is the same ring that Gwendolyn gives him uh, as his uh, fiance. Isn't that just so fitting that how that all fits together? I think that's great. That's awesome. I never really thought about that. Yeah, that's, that's so great. I feel stupid. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Jeremy. You made us all feel like idiots. And uh, honestly, there's there's more there. There's like like so two two uh, factions are at war, right? Wreath and Landfall, and the only way they can get together or begin to feel love for each other is communication and speaking. Yeah, right. So it's like division, and there's so many like metaphors there, but it's it's really really plays out really well in the story. Yeah, like that really shows you that. 
they don't, those two sides, Wreath and Landfall, they don't have communication, right? They can't communicate right. with each other. Maybe this, the only thing that they're at war with is that they can't communicate, right? So if, if they yeah. just had these translation rings, they might realize they're more like each other than, you know, they aren't, but they can't, Absolutely. they don't have a way to do it. Yeah. So I th- actually, that's a really, that's a really cool part uh, that you've. And they're so there. close. They're so close. Yeah. The moon yeah. and the planet. It's nuts. Yeah, and I mean, then you you do see that when Alana and Marco can finally communicate, they just hit it off. They're they're a perfect match, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Jeremy gets a plus one. He's got a, he's got, <laughs> oh yeah, you got a check sure. mark. He's got a check mark yeah. there. Oh, thanks. I challenge everybody else to try to get a check mark, myself included. Okay, I'm okay. gonna get negative. <laughs> yeah. You're gonna lose a point. We're playing golf, right? Yeah, this right. Is golf yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I didn't say if a check mark is good or bad. So, <laughs> so we get a great section here, a section I absolutely love because the stock comes back. Um, I, I know we all loved the stock from Volume One. I think it, I think I said it was my favorite character. Maybe it was the will, but the stock was very high. Um, and she's back, but it's only in the Will's dream. So it's mm-hmm. only for a short amount and it's not real, but I'm glad they found a way to bring her back because I'd have to think that everybody reading the volume wanted to see her in this volume. She was really cool. Yeah. She's a great character. And it was fun to, at first, when you don't know what's going to happen, that you're like, oh my God, she's back. This is so good. And then you're like, oh, nope. They take it from us. I believe it, though, in the moment. I'm like, yeah, I believe she's strong enough to be back. It wasn't like it, oh, yeah. it It fooled me when it was just a dream. That's what was cool. Yeah, I think I think one of the keys is that she's sewn up, you know, where the blast went through. So you're like, oh, I guess so. It's like, I don't understand this spider species. Maybe she's fine. Maybe she can heal. Exactly. I I'm not a medic. Way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I believed it this time because I, again, I read this a while ago and I um have a... <laughs> Not so great memory. So I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. She does come back. And then a page later, like, no, you're just a dipshit. Awesome. <laughs> I, I was fooled the second time. That got too. me again. <laughs> Fool me twice. Shame on you. Fool yes. me three times. So we'll see. We'll see if it gets us the third time if we go back and do <laughs> <Yeah>. it again. <laughs> yeah. We like her so much, it'll get you every time. Yeah. Like, I'm just so excited <laughs> to see her on the page. Yeah. All right. Cool. Uh, Maybe we should start writing some fan fiction about this. Uh, about her, right? <laughs> yeah, there's got to be some out there. <laughs> I'm definitely going to be on edge next time I read it. I'm going to get there and I'm gonna be like, something doesn't feel right. Yeah. What, what yeah. is it? I don't know what it is, though, but I don't. Something's off. <laughs> and then I'll forget and then I'll get burnt again. So the will wakes up from his dream because Gwendolyn has found him and she wants him to continue his search. And he asks for 650 large so he can free the young girl trapped on sextillion. Uh, love that as- aspect of it. Gwendolyn says no. That's that's too much money. But she will help him free the girl. So he doesn't need the money. So they go and they try to rescue this girl peacefully. But that doesn't work and they have to resort to violence. And it was some really great violence I thought oh, it yeah. was. Mm-hmm. We got to see the will using his lance, which was oh, wow. just amazing. It was cool. I love yeah. that thing. Uh, such a great call the way they drew that page because he's so far away from the bad guys 
And then he just holds this thing up that you can't even tell what it is. It almost looked like he's like holding a, like an ancient goblet. Like he's pouring something out of an ancient goblet. And Mm -hmm. then all of a sudden, like this, like a spike just kind of shoots out of it, flies way, way across the page. Like there's enemies in the distance and you can see it like kind of curving its way. Like it's this spike on a rope. And then it Mm -hmm. just nails one of the guys and you can see him falling over. Uh, I thought it was a great presentation of this weapon. Made me fall in love with it right away. Yeah, same. It's after that, um, he note note that he hands it to Gwen when he gets, uh, one of these guys gets the upper hand on him, hands it to Gwen, expecting him, her to use it. He's like, do anything. And she grabs (laughs) it. And then she, instead of using it, she casts a spell. And says, my ex taught me this one and like, zaps the guy. It's so yeah. good. Yeah, awesome. She's like, I'm I'm too cool for your lance, dude. I got my own yeah. stuff. Yeah, I got lightning. <laughs> I liked what the Will said about the lightning she used. He was like, that's, um, like he knew about that spell. And he's like, what you just did there will actually take a couple weeks off your life. Mm. So I think that's another one of these really interesting ideas they come up with in this book. Like this, these oh, magic yeah. spells that bring you great power, but yeah. while you're using them, you're shortening your own lifespan. And what an interesting thing like that would be for all of us. If we had some sort of a power like that, like the balance between going bananas with it, using it all the time versus your lifespan. I think it's just a, it's a really interesting, um, like almost like social, you know, question, like h- how people would act with like great power like that. Hmm. Yeah. I'd be a glass cannon. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. Only the good die young, man. Yep. <laughs> Hell yeah. yeah. Give me one week to live. <laughs> but what a week. Yeah. <laughs> what a, what week. a week. What Lightning a week. blasting everybody. The yep. things you'll see. <laughs> oh, that guy just cut me off. Boom. <laughs> Boom. That guy Done. was thinking about cutting me off. I saw him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, Cat got in on the action here. He uh, mm-hmm. ate the face off of one of these alien dudes. Yeah, very, I think it's a she. It's good. Who? It's a she. She? Lioncat's a she? I think cat's a she, yeah. Okay, she. She bites the face off. Um, we haven't really mentioned too much about it but this book is extremely graphic in both like violence and sexual content like they don't really pull any punches when it comes to those two things which i don't know like i kind of get the violence but the all the sexual stuff kind of catches me off guard i'm not i'm not sure it's place no, I was trying to figure out why it's in there, and it, maybe it's just for shock value. I'm not sure. Like the at least the the like whole fard part of it, you know. Like I'm not sure why it is like that, but I I, I don't mind it. I I, I kind of like it, but it's just it. I don't know why. I don't know why. Well, like, are you talking about this, a specific scene, like the? Well, no, I'm talking about just on, an ongoing theme of like. I don't know, like very graphic sexual material in in the throughout both volumes so far. I would say I think it makes it down to earth. I think that people have these experiences and they can relate to them, and um, that's why I I think it adds to it. 
I think it, it, it adds to the characters, it adds to the context. I, I like it. I think it adds adds a good uh I think it adds to it. And yeah, I, kn- totally. I know I know we just mentioned um Fard, but I I do think it's all done pretty tastefully too, in in a graphic way, if that makes sense. <laughs> like no, that's very true. It's it like uh Fiona Staples art and her just I don't know, way that she draws stuff on the page, like it it has the impact it should have, and it's not like I don't know. Um, I've seen stuff that doesn't seem respectful, you know, um, yeah. and I feel like this is is, you know, has a sensibility to it that fits within the book. And like you said, Jeremy grounds grounds the book too. you know, um, these, you know, I, I like how um, the sex scene that happens is like, yes, my parents did have sex at one time. Like I didn't just appear, you know, Um and, right, and they're not showing like anything, anything like pornography or anything. They're just showing some tasteful shots, and you know, and I don't think they sit with it for very long either. It's like this is this and this, and then it goes into the dialogue, and I think people pay more attention to the dialogue um, at that point. So I think it's tasteful. It's not always tasteful, though. Okay. What do you mean, like fard? <laughs> not well, not even or what. Well, I mean, in this volume, what I would say would be more like um, when we finally get to Prince Robot and some of the Im- imagery on his screen. <sighs> okay, F- fair, fair. I was thinking about the scenes, but you're 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 right. That was a little bit that did catch me off guard. Yeah, I, I still haven't figured out why that particular scene showed up on his face. I know it's interesting, right? Yeah, I I mean let's talk I, let's talk let's let's put that it. on the back burner. Let's talk about that when yeah. we get there though because I want to yeah. I want to sure. go through that. Uh we Fair get, point. It's not always tasteful, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I I do agree with what you're saying. Like I really think it's um I I think it's it's realistic. Like it it is it is a part of like humanity really and there's a lot of comics out there that are afraid to dig into it because it might seem untasteful. But they do it in a way that is tasteful and it works with the book. And yeah, it's, it's just, I think it's very fitting because they're trying to tell sort of like a complete story here. So that's something that they need to include because it is part of their story. So to omit it because they don't want to offend somebody would make their story like not as good. So why would they do that? So they don't. Yeah, and yeah. I think it's their their dialogue in those scenes that just make you connect so much with those characters. You're like, oh yeah, this is just like they're just you know being real and just talking yeah. to each other. This is how this is how it goes. Um, yeah. So I, I really like those parts. Totally. So we get another flashback here to Alana, who still has Marco as a prisoner, but they've become friends, and they're in a secret book club together, which I thought was very cute. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Alana says it's the highlight of her career. <laughs> yeah, not just day or week, yeah. career. <laughs> Loved it. Now, she, book. she yeah, loves reading book. this story between this rock monster and a girl, and it's a love story. She's just taken aback by it. And um, this is a really important part of this volume where Alana connects to this story as a love story, but Marco lets her know that the book is actually a commentary on the war and how the war needs to end. And Alana ends up freeing Marco here and they kiss. So it's kind of like, this is their big moment where he's no longer the prisoner. They've connected enough and they get together. 
Now, Marco and his mother find Isabel, and they escape back to their ship after a brief encounter with the midwives. Tony, I want to ask you what you thought <laughs> of the midwives and also about Time Suck, who's a character we meet right away as well. Yeah, I thought it was uh, unnerving, the upside down black ichor spitting uh, witches that uh, kind of reveal that, you know, this planet isn't a planet. It's something that's hatching, you know. Um, and yeah, I thought that was really cool. And again, it's just how inventive and how different I feel this sci-fi um, comic book is. Because like, again, it, it's like this this planet or egg or whatever giant space celestial body thing is hatching and is um you know just gonna feed on whatever is close to it and and be like a time suck which do we even find out i i know i read this today but we don't really find out what a time suck is but it is such a cool name that I feel like evokes enough to be like, yeah, you don't want to get sucked into that. You know, <laughs> yeah. that sounds bad. <laughs> I think it's a black hole. It's a creature that can yeah. create a black hole. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's what I took from Makes it. Makes sense. Man, if they wanted to, this book can have so many spinoffs just about stuff that they don't fully explain, really, honestly. I think this would make a great like movie or um, high end like television series. I think so, too. I mean, he has spoken that he does not ever plan on doing anything other than a comic with this, which is yeah. sad. But Yeah. Well, money money talks. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I think it's maybe he just knows that, like, it's it's maybe in its peak form in the comic book, and he doesn't want to, you know, do anything else to sort of bring that down. Yeah, sure. That's fair enough. I still want to see it, though. I want to be that oh, greedy, greedy guy. Hey, I want to see it, too. It. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to subscribe to Apple Plus. I'm going to watch it, too. Yep, yeah. I'll play the video game, too, if they want to make a video game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm there. I'm there. Yeah, so this planet hatches. Just amazing that a planet is hatching. It's so cool. Great. What a cool idea. Yep. And the baby time suck comes out. The things, it's fucking cute. I, I like it. It's just a cute <laughs> little thing. It's so innocent. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, at this point, the will has caught up to Marco um, in his own ship and the will sees this and he calls it an, a, an astrological super predator. And he once saw one take out a whole armada, which is I thought that was neat. And so he's very mm -hmm. panicked. He's like, we need we need to go. <laughs> this is yeah. not not a safe place. Gwendolyn is very adamant about killing Marco, though. So she fires a torpedo at them, which accidentally hits the baby time suck right in the tummy. And that, yeah, I that like, makes it grumpy. Yeah, <laughs> I like why it hits them, because uh, Alana makes a, a cool move where she goes at the, um, the, the rocket sort of full force, knowing that it won't arm itself until it's far enough away from the vessel that shot it, you know? So mm -hmm. just a cool thing that she she knew um, that it just bounces right off of their ship and right into the uh, the tum-tum of the time suck. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and Gwendolyn, who fired it, um, fired it because she knew that they were there but couldn't see it because, again, they're on that wooden spaceship. Right. And so it yeah. was a heat-seeking rocket, too. Um, again, this this will tie in later to kind of like the Will's reaction to, you know, doing something. He said, no, we're, we're not. Don't fire that, you know. So yeah. 
Yeah, so this newly born, very angry time suck starts sucking everything in. And the Will and his ship and his group there, they're able to escape. Um, They say that he's able to go to high speed, which I just assume is like warp speed or, you know, that's their name for it, high speed. (laughs) (laughs) That could have been a bit better. (laughs) Ludicrous speed? Should they went to ludicrous speed? Yeah, ludicrous speed. They spent it all on time suck. You know, that was the good name and then high speed. (laughs) And what should we call, what should we call light speed? High speed? I don't know. Yeah. It just didn't like instill the same type of reaction that I would get out of hearing light speed. Yeah, that's interesting because actually some of the things that like some of the names they have for things are very simple. And I think it's very cool when it's simple. Like so like the language, they just call it blue because we're reading it in blue. And I thought that was so cool. That's such a cool idea. Um, But yeah, this thing of just high speed, you know, feels feels like it could have done a little more. I mean, potentially another opportunity where the the word fard could have worked. I, yeah, fard speed. Fard speed? We're, yeah, we're going to fard speed or just fard. Full fard ahead. Yeah, we luckily escaped <laughs> because we went to fard. <laughs> now, when um, now when the uh, when the the Will's ship is damaged by the fetus by the time suck. Um, and everything starts to get sucked out of the ship, including Lion Cat. Mm. Um, it's that point which I had to. I realized that is space going to be like space, or is space going to be like Guardians of the Galaxy, where you can kind of just sit out in space for a little bit and not like explode? Mm-hmm. And of course, we learn the latter, where you can sit out there apparently for a bit and not be like instantly like you know blown up. I thought yeah. that was. I was afraid at first, and then I'm like, oh, okay, physics a little different. I get it. Yeah. Sure, yeah, just kind of like ex- expanding, or not expanding, but sh- like sharing the rules of the universe with us, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. By just, yeah, exactly, by just showing us a scene that's happening, basically. Yeah, I like that scene because the Will got to use his uh, lance again. Yes. Yeah. Very oh, dramatic yeah. scene. Like, I, I, I liked it. That's Very dramatic. More character building for the Will because Lion Cat gets sucked out into space and... Like the same way that Marco grabbed that helmet and went after Isabel, the Will's just like, there wasn't even a consideration. It was like the Lion Cat got sucked out and he jumps out right after her as fast as he could. So that's great. Like we, we've, you know, we're in the second volume, but you can really tell how deeply certain characters care for other characters. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think and- there's also a metaphor there that the Will, his relationship with the truth is like you know he has this he loves he needs this it's part of him right Um, without him without it you know he doesn't know the truth so i think that's really interesting too yeah very interesting and and i i like the will in the first volume um i thought he was very cool and then this volume you get all these uh you know sort of deeper deeper levels of him when like right away he wanted to go back and get that girl like he he just wanted enough money so he could save her um, so that's cool right away. And then, yeah, jumping into space to save save the cat. And Tim, we've talked about the save the cat moment. That's how you tell someone's a hero in a movie when they save when they save a cat at the beginning of the movie. <laughs> Boom, they're a hero. It's the save the cat moment. The will's a hero. Check mark. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on the board. <laughs> oh, must be nice. <laughs> <laughs> now, Tony. 
to be like to be honest, like you may have earned a check mark before I brought check marks into play. So hmm. yeah, you know, I feel like I probably even owe you a check mark. I mean, that's really nice of you. I I <laughs> I always owe him a check mark, honestly. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Uh, Marco's mother gives him the crash helms so that he can escape with Alana and Hazel, the baby. So this is more like we were talking about before. They don't care. They're just like, we need you guys to be safe. Uh, Marco grabs them. And instead of escaping selfishly, he uses them to power the ship by, Mm -hmm. I guess, giving the ship uh, some sort of magic item. And then the ship can turn that into like more extreme power and they use that to break free from the time suck and there is precedence from that because remember he his put sword. his family's sword in there yeah yeah to open it up um now like just before they whatever speed they jump to i guess they jump to the same speed i guess it's high speed for them as well but just before they do that i really like that the father um who we kind of already learned is a bit of a seamstress. Like he made some new clothes for Alana and now he's stitching the ship together to try to reinforce it before it goes to this extreme speed that the ship's not really ready for. So he reinforces it to save everybody. And unfortunately in the process, he ends up passing away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, it was a sad, sad moment, obviously, that they make even sadder by immediately giving us a flashback of Marco as a teenager with his dad, where Marco is trying to learn to ride a grasshopper. And the entire flashback is written in another language. So we don't even know what they're saying to each other, but we understand exactly what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just this one of these life moments where he's being taught how to like essentially ride a bike from his father. And that's, you know, man, that one just, that one hit me right in the, right in the tummy. Oh, it was masterfully done just the way that they, they had set, they had set it up. And, and what I really appreciated about it too, is so we did talk about the save the cat moment and the save the cat moment happened between issues you had the issue ending with lion cat going out into space and then that's closing you know the book and you have to wait a month for the resolution and what i really liked here was with the dad dying there was this they could have done like i'm they could have ended it on i'm i'm so sorry marco you know and that could have been the last page of of the comic but it wasn't they let it breathe and they they made you sit with it more and i really appreciated that um because it's not just this book of um constant cliffhangers so yeah yeah and cliffhangers in comics i found can can actually make big moments like that um less because you're not mm-hmm. sure if they're actually well is he actually dead or not i guess i'll find next month and then by the time it's next month you've sort of all that tension's gone out of you and you're just you're just reading it now so yeah i like that it breathed there and you kind of know in that moment it gives you time to sink in it's like yeah he died and so marco's you know marco's dad is dead now and that you know it's very sad yeah i really liked um the fact that they put the talk the, like the, the speech bubbles in a different language because what that does is it forces us to look at the imagery 
and to focus on the physical story, not not the written words. All all too often, this is not not for myself because I really love art, but I, I really think that people, some people who read comics and graphic novels, might speed their way through by going through the words and not paying as much attention to the the imagery. And what this technique forces you to do is to only pay attention to the imagery. So really soak up what's happening in that moment between, between the father and the son and really like letting you fill in the words for yourself, you know, write, write the word bubbles yourself in your head as it's happening. So um, I haven't really seen that done very often. It, it worked extremely well for me. And I just thought it was a beautiful, beautiful couple of pages. It really let me imprint like myself and my experience on that. Not that I've learned to ride a grasshopper, but you can relate it to riding a bike, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. and it, it lets each each reader kind of imprint their own experience with, you know, their father or their mother, their loved one, one who raised them, you know, and I think I think that's a brilliant stroke that they they of writing that they had there. So, yeah, yeah it's, I, a, it's an emotional chord that uh, I mean, we didn't know Barr very much. But what we did know of him is that he's this overly accepting, kind person, you know, and, you know, he was there for his kid during rough times and you know and he did he did a great job and you know he's, he's gone so I think they did a good job of adding you know context to Marco and Barr was a really cool character and it sucks that we only yeah. get to see him for a couple issues yeah and he would yeah. be played by Bill Nighy if it was a live action movie because <laughs> oh, totally <laughs> nailed it wow I was going to say, I was going to say Tony deserves his check mark for us, uh, you know, filling in our own word bubbles. But, you know, I think this, this gets the check mark. Yeah, I was going to say, guess who just gets the check mark. Casting gets the check mark. Guess who just Thanks. got a check mark. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> now, while we did briefly see Prince Robot on a single page earlier in the book, uh, we do get a good chunk of story with him here to kind of finish it off. Now we get a really interesting flashback with him where he's injured on the battlefield while helping out landfall in the war. And a field medic comes out to save his life. And she just happens to be like a, a mouse humanoid, but a gas grenade lands near them. And the medic unfortunately doesn't have a gas mask so she fucking explodes. Oh my yeah. god. Like everything about her explodes. Yeah. And I would say especially her head, but everything. This yeah. was this was really a really like weird part of the book and I really liked it because I didn't understand what they were trying to tell me. Like it seemed like they were trying to make a connection with Prince Robot and this medic and they're trying to show you kind of like the other side of the war and that the other side of the war also has kind of tragedy. Um, but then to kill off the medic like that, I was like, I didn't really understand what they were trying to tell me with that because in a couple of pages, I was like really into this field medic mouse. I was like, she's I really love the cool. Mouse. I liked yeah. her. She's like, ah, oh, she was such a good character. And then, by the end of like her her short story there, her head is like as big as a panel and then she bursts into blood. And I was like, what? 
why you got to do the the mouse medic like that? Yeah, I think the key to that is that the the mouse medic, you know, doesn't have horns, doesn't have wings, is not on one of the sides that started this war. Um, and maybe it's just from the planet that they're on and they all have gas masks and they don't give one to the medic. You know, it's just getting caught up in this fight that's not even not even hers, you know, and I think maybe that's sort of the point of it, that she's the only casualty there when the gas comes out is the one that is just has helping out someone else. Yeah. 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 It has nothing well, to do with it. Well, and saving lives. Like, is and there not lives. fighting? Yeah. 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 You know, they, they give her so, they give her so, like, a story. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And it's awesome, and you, and they make her cute as hell, right? Mm-hmm. And you like her almost immediately because she's helpful. She's not vengeful. She's a lifesaver. And then they, they have her head explode. It, it did hurt. I'll, I'll give you that. It sucked. Oh, that's a tough moment. That was actually a really tough moment for me in this book. Like, I was really endeared to this mouse character. And damn, they're just like, forget about it. She's gone. They knew what they were doing. Oh, they know, they know exactly they what they're doing. Making <laughs> they know, her a mouse. Come they on. know how to control my emotions in this book while I'm reading it. <laughs> <laughs> they made us though attached to this mouse character in only three pages. Yeah, and I would and I would say it. You could say three and a half because on the 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 fourth or fourth page, um, the mouse's blood is all over uh, Prince Robot Four, and I don't know. <laughs> you know. So still there, stick it around for another <laughs> yeah, page. Still, it's still there on another page technically, but yeah, they just I don't. The way that they were able to give so much character in three pages. Yeah. Incredible. incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Great work. Yeah. So go ahead, Tony. I was going to say, this is also the page that has the, like, I, I've read this a couple of times and I think I was so endeared to the mouse and maybe, maybe I should have a checkpoint taken away from me or a check mark taken away because I don't rush through comics, but I literally... When you mentioned like, oh, it's not all tasteful and you mentioned, oh, in Prince Robot's face, I was like, wait, what? What are you talking about? So I'm flipping through as we're talking and then I see it and I'm like, oh, God, I don't think I've seen this before. I totally (laughs) skipped past it because I'm looking at the mouse. (laughs) Yeah, it's in multiple panels, too. They do the same thing in multiple different screens. So but I kind of get it like it's I feel like he's so obsessed with Alana and Marco that it's almost like, I think they, they established in volume one, he doesn't always have control over what comes across that screen, right? It's more of like a, mm-hmm. a an emotional response to something. And then that, po- it's almost like what he's thinking. It's kind of like what a nightmare scenario would be for a human being is like, if what you're thinking pops up on a screen, that is your face. And yeah. I feel like it's maybe almost as like a, like a dream for him as well. Like he can't really control what's happening. Maybe it's subconscious, but he's so focused on Marco and Alana right now that that's what's on his screen. I mean, it could be a representation for intrusive thoughts, you know, as well. Like um, people suffer from having, you know, thinking about stuff that they don't want to think about. And, um, but yeah, it's, I, it's interesting, but I'm, I've seen it before, I've I've paid attention to his face, but I think I've missed it each time until just now because of that damn mouse character that we don't even have a name for. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I totally miss like, oh my gosh, yeah. there's a couple of junks in someone's face. Wow, I missed this. <laughs> I, yeah. I love it that the mouse calls him handsome. Like you just like this yeah. mouse. So That's nice. That's a nice mouse. <laughs> She's the best. 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, she's she's calling him handsome, and he's displaying a very homoerotic, <laughs> like, picture on his face as she says this. It's, <laughs> it's, what a great mouse. Yeah. I, I, I like... So I... I'm trying to put together, you know, why why the images are on the on the screen, and I think there's I think there is something to it. I think it comes actually later in the oh, whoops. Whoa, um, I Dean, think it, <laughs> <settle> down. <laughs> I think we uh, we figure out later in a couple volumes um, why those images are being displayed on a screen because I think it happens multiple times, and I think it happens when he's stressed out. It happens when he's near death. It happens when yeah, just when he can't control it. Um, so there, there is one thing that I just picked up sort of this time. He does get, you know, he's got a bad injury in his neck and he's made out of like circuitry. So maybe it's, you know, he's being short circuited maybe so that he has no more control over his screen. Maybe this isn't mm. a thing for his species. Mm. Maybe like. It has happened to others of his species. Others of his species. Okay. Yeah, okay. The, so then the king, the king happens to the king when he's upset. Okay. Like, it does. Okay. It does happen. Okay. So then I think, I think they will uh, mention a little bit later maybe why those images are are showing up on his screen in those moments, in sort of the moments of near death, in the moments of um, fighting and war. Um, so, yeah, we can dig into it in a couple volumes, I think. This is great because I totally forgot. <laughs> you came so close to losing a checkmark, Dean. Oh, I know. I was so it was close. Just, you, it was just, it was I right know. there. It was right there. I saw you erasing it from the board. I was already erasing the top of it. And then I was yeah. like, wait, he's, yeah. he saved it. He didn't spoil nope. it. Okay, never, never mind. I'll take that. Okay. <laughs> now, Prince Robot is still looking for Marco and Alana. And he's in the Stocks ship, which I just love the design of her ship. And mm-hmm. his plan here is to go and find the author of that book that Alana and Marco bonded over. And it was written by a Dr. Oswald Heist. And Robot, he just thinks that that's a likely place for Marco and Alana to go to, is to this author. So, Dean, what did you think about this part where the prince goes to the planet where Heist is on and goes and meets this author? Um, Well, first of all, um, talk about cute characters. We get a cute little seal. Yeah. Yeah. They don't seem to say his name, do they? They don't say his name. Yeah, I I know his name, but they don't say it yet. Um, But yeah, very, very cute. Very funny um, little seal. So I like that start. I like that part. Uh, I do... I do like this whole interrogation thing because I, you know, I I like Prince Robot. We got a lot of Prince Robot in the first book. We haven't got any of him until now. Um, So I kind of like that the whole issue is centered around him and uh, sort of a new character, you know, a a new character we don't really know. And uh, we're we're interrogating the new character and we want to know about the, you know, the heist, Mr. Heist who wrote this book. We kind of want to know about him. So it's almost like we are Prince Robot interrogating. Like, I want the answers too. So it's just an interesting, uh, for me, it's an interesting view on the issue because he's sort of, a, he, he's our villain, you know, hunting our heroes. And I'm kind of with him in this one. I want I want to listen and hear, and hear his, uh, hear what answers he can get out of Heist. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah, it's like Prince Robot, he, he comes at it to, to Heist like, um, he kind of comes after him saying like your book is like a, it's a book with this hidden message in it. Right. Like you're, Mm -hmm. you're trying to stop the war. You're trying to stop war altogether. You're, you're a pacifist. Um, 
all of this is subtext in your book. And he's trying to get a reaction from him. And Heist plays it off excellently. He's just like, well, whatever. I mean, if that's what you got out of my book, that's awesome. Good for you. Um, all the readers get different things. Uh, I did this for a paycheck. I, I didn't think twice about this book. It's just words on on paper. So good for you, man. Thanks for coming to visit, you know, and let's be friends. Um, It was kind of weird as like Prince Robot is leaving that all of a sudden heist gets triggered and i don't know maybe someone can like share their thoughts on this part but i i kind of didn't really understand i mean maybe i understand it i didn't really like um his kind of 180 turn here where prince robot is about to leave but then it seemed like he didn't even really say anything too triggering but heist definitely gets triggered by it and sets like you know this next course of events into action that i don't want to quite spoil if someone wants to talk about the previous part well to me i looked at it and i don't know if i can answer your question uh uh, tim but to me it was like a battle a dialogue battle yeah um like it you know you find out uh, by by you find out at the end that uh, Oswald is kind of keeping, you know, he's trying to prevent uh, Prince from learning about what his true intentions were. So, so they're kind of battling, and it looked like Oswald uh, won because Prince was leaving, and he had one last question, and um, it was about his son. Uh, you never said um, what battle. Yeah, you never said what bat. What battle did your son die in? You never said. Oh no! What battle did your son die in? And he's like, I never said. And that was in a tone that that turned him around, like because he had sold he had sold uh, Prince on you know what um, I wrote that book. It didn't mean anything. It was just for money. And I'm, I'm an upstanding. I had a son in the army. He fought, you know. And he had sold Prince on everything. So Prince was like, Okay, you must have nothing to do with it. And then as he was leaving, what battle did your son? die in you never said and he's like i didn't and that in that tone where he's like oh let's talk about this and then he he sensed resentment right and so now wait a minute there's something here and since he was triggered and emotional he it, he lost the the battle of the dialogue battle and now prince four is on to him and i think to me that made sense okay so what might have thrown me off is that prince robot was leaving and then heist got triggered. But what I'm what I'm hearing from you is that this was like maybe Prince Robot's big play was right at the end is go through all these motions. Then right at the end, Prince Robot knows how to get him with the word speech. And if if heist is kind of if heist is hiding anything, maybe Prince Robot is good enough at that word play to draw it out of him in this moment. Is that like what to, you're thinking? To me, I. To me, I think it was a last last ditch. Yeah. Okay. Right. Like, uh, you know, there's not a lot here, but hey, what what battle was that? And he's like, I never said. And that was the last bit. He's like, I'm, I can't, I gotta, I, 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 I he had, I have so much resentment that he let it go. So yeah, I, I would say the biggest thing to catch someone in a lie, and this is my guess, is to keep them talking. So the more that you can ask, the more that you can pry. You know, if there's if there's something that's going to 
hit somewhere. He eventually, like, he's almost out the door. He's almost lost the the battle of minds, the word battle. And he's, you know, throwaway line, and it totally triggers um, Oswald or Mr. Heist. And, and that, uh, you know, um, makes it so he loses that battle, you know. He had a choice. Oswald had a choice to lie. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And he he has all resentment up, and he just let it go because it made him feel good, and that's that's how he 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 triggered him. He did it. Yeah, I think I think Heist just couldn't help himself anymore. Like if we we are in Prince Robot's shoes, kind of in this issue, but if we were mm-hmm. in Heist, we'd know that he's been he's lying the whole time. He is this man who is this pacifist who's been putting everything in his book, and from the m- moment like Prince Robot steps in the room, he's lying and he's lying and he's lying, and he just couldn't handle it anymore. He when it got to his son, he couldn't he couldn't bottle it up anymore, and he just let yep. it go because that's who he is. Yep. He did such a good job leading up to that, that I had trouble believing yeah. in this moment that he would flip because he was so solid up to this point. But I appreciate what you guys have said. And I definitely understand that. Yeah, I, I, I like, I like it. Oh, check marks all, all around. Everybody gets <gasps> yes. a check mark. Doesn't mean anything if we're all tied. <laughs> all right. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I want two. No, uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> This does a great job of showing you how valuable Lion Cat is because this mm-hmm. whole conversation would have taken five seconds if Prince Robot, ha- Robot had Lion Cat. Mm-hmm. It's cool. Totally. Yeah. Lion Cat rules. Lion, Lion Cat is worth jumping out into space for. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. I almost got a Lion Cat shirt, but I didn't. I, I should have. I feel like I had it in my cart and just didn't hit checkout. You Why? could still do it. Why wouldn't I you? I could do still that? do it. Yeah, what's I wrong still with you? I could still do it. I think I was like, no one's going to know what this is. <laughs> and then I'm going to have to explain it to everybody. That's part of the fun. That's I know. Yeah. Now I understand that. that. Back then, I didn't understand that. Do we need to pause this episode right now while you go and purchase that shirt? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, we should. <laughs> Let's do it. Will you go, Will you buy that shirt right now for the listeners? Uh, not right now, but okay. I will. I will buy it. Yeah, I'll buy it. I'll be wearing it. Hey, I'll be wearing it. For our next volume. Okay. Oh. Nice. I thought you were going to say you'd wear it uh, and in your photograph next to Fard. <laughs> <laughs> that we use for promotional that purposes too. for this that episode. That too, yeah. <laughs> Lion cat shirt, balls out. <laughs> I like it, Dean. I like it. Good call. Going to Winnie the Pooh okay. it. Gotcha. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Always. <laughs> so yeah to dig a little bit deeper into like why exactly heist was triggered and it was because that his son was in the war and prince robot saw a picture of his son and like asked him about it while they were talking son was in the war Um, he mentioned his son had died prince robot ends up asking what battle and heist he he snaps he says it wasn't a battle and what had happened was his son had PTSD from the war and ended up committing suicide. So that's why Heist is so against this war is he he's seeing what it does to people, right? He's seeing how it destroys everyone involved. So he's he's writing these stories, trying to put an end to this, like trying to stop how awful all this shit is. And he, he couldn't handle it anymore. And he pulls out a gun on prince robot and and to show even like how upset he is the gun is fake it's not even real 
but he's so mad in that moment, he pulls a fake gun on Prince Robot, and Prince Robot shoots him. And he's just like, oh, damn, I, I wish this gun was real. Like, that would have been better. But he's a pacifist, well, right? He doesn't. He won't yeah. have guns. And the way, I guess, Prince Robot, he's still kind of like, maybe doesn't quite know if this guy um, is like writing the propaganda into his book. So he gives him a pen and says, here's a pen. Stab me right here in my neck and I will die. And the heist can't do it. Right. He, he's already been shot in the knee. He's very possibly going to get killed right now. And he can't bring himself to causing violence to another person. So th this is obviously all Prince Robot needs to understand that, yes, this guy is, you know, what the rumors are about him. He's writing this subtext into these stories for this reason. So and he he, you know, still thinking that Marco and Alana are going to show up. He decides to wait. He was going to leave, but he's like, you know what? I'm just going to wait. So he pulls up a chair. He sits down and waits. And I think we get one more page where we see that Marco, <laughs> Alana, and their whole crew are upstairs in the attic. They're already there and they're kind of yeah. terrified. And then the volume yeah. ends. It's a good page. I really like it. It's a good cliffhanger, too, honestly. Yeah. This is one Great that I enjoy. Yeah. It's yeah, it's it, it's one that has a story after it, not just a moment. You know, like mm -hmm. there, there, we we know there's a lot more to come after this sort of situation. So it's like I just want to dig into that next issue, and the whole issue is going to explain to me what it is instead of just like, oh, I need to see the next moment. I need to see what happens right after this. It's great. It's been two volumes of like assassins hunting down Marco and Alana, and at the end of volume two, Prince Robot is the one to find them. And he doesn't know yeah. it yet, but he's there. He's found them. So it's taken two volumes for them to sort of get caught. So I'm really interested to see what happens next. Like as a, as a reader who hasn't gone any further, what happens next? <clears throat> you know, like great cliffhanger. <laughs> now I have read volume three, so I know, but I speak for the readers who haven't gotten any further. I've read the volume two, but I can't remember. <laughs> so it's I mean, I can't great. specifically remember, but I, I, I can vaguely remember like yeah. sort of what happens. But yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Like, I, I don't think this is the type of book where you can just remember everything because there's so mm -hmm. much going on. There's so many yeah. huge ideas, um, so many like great character developing moments that it would be impossible to remember everything. I think that's one of the great things about this book is that you can't remember. So it's, it makes it just so fun to to revisit and relive. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so that's the end of the volume. Is Was there anything specific that anybody wanted to touch on or anything you felt like we missed? I, I just wanted to say that uh, uh, these books, they do a lot of um, like groupings with, they have such good characters and they do a lot of groupings with characters and sometimes those groupings change. And uh, this is sort of the formation of my favorite group. And that is uh, Gwendolyn, the Will, I believe at this point she's called Slave Girl and yeah. Lion Cat. Nice. That, those, oh, that grouping is my favorite grouping and it forms in this volume. So I, I just get really excited. <laughs> that's the I know. Dean. Are you I sure? know it's the opposition. I know, but it, I love the grouping. I love them. I don't know, Jeremy. That depends if you're from Wreath or Landfall. <laughs> it's, you're right. You're right. <laughs> 
Cool. Well, one thing that we didn't mention, um, but there's a narration going on through volume one and through volume two, and it's actually baby Hazel narrating, but obviously not from, you know, the point of view of a baby. So we know that at some point we're going to catch up with Hazel uh, at some other age in her life where she's kind of like living back or retelling all of this story to us. So I thought that's a really cool element that can kind of easily be overlooked because you get so focused and wrapped up in the characters. But while she is a character, she's not really a character. She's just a baby. So we get her character through the narration. Yeah, if they're really good, it'll be the last volume in which they'll catch up. Yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> yeah. That'd be very yeah, cool. Exactly, yeah. 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 Old, old lady in a rocking chair type situation. <laughs> we could only hope. Stroking, yeah. li- stroking lion cat. Yes, of course, of course. <laughs> with that, like, jewelry from the Titanic, too, right? Yeah, like, oh, or, yeah, yeah. Know. That's what yeah. I was... That was, that was I, the, heart, the heart of the ocean? The heart yeah, of the, the heart sea, of the ocean. Something like, yeah, something like that. Heart of the ocean. And finally, there was peace between <laughs> Wreath and Landfall. Yes, yes. <laughs> and then it and. ends with Lion Cat saying lie. Lying. Lying. Oh, there it is. Oh. That'd be good. I think you just wrote it, Tim. <laughs> hey, I got a check mark too. You yeah. got your check mark. Right it took all the way minutes. to the end, but you all got the way yours. to the end. I was lucky to get one. I'll tell you the truth. <laughs> oh, cool. Okay, listen, guys. Uh, Tony, Jeremy, thanks so much for joining. Um, great time talking saga with you. Uh, we'll uh, yeah. we look forward to the next one. I don't see how we could do another one without you. So I think we'll just like maybe have you do all the sagas with us because it just wouldn't feel right otherwise. No, this has been great. Yeah. I mean, I think that we add so much value (laughs) to your podcast when we're talking about saga. I I agree. You just, I agree. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) I agree. Usually Tim's just stuck with me. So yeah, it's, you add a ton. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Uh, yeah. So, um, why don't you guys just go ahead and plug remote takes here quick? Because listen, this is a great podcast. Um, I've already mentioned it. I don't like spoilers, but I let your podcast spoil stuff for me. That's just how much I enjoy it. Anybody out there, please check them out. If you like, you know, if you like listening to us and you like what you've heard from them this episode, which I'm sure you have, please check out their podcast and, uh, go ahead and let us know what it's about guys. Uh, Thank you for the compliment, Tim. Yeah, Tony and I, we talk about uh, new movies and old favorites, and uh, we just were kind of like open books. We chat about whatever we find interesting. And um, I mean, I have a good time with Tony. Tony, do you enjoy the podcast? I can take it or leave it. No, it's it's a good time. It's a good time. No, but we have have a good time. Uh, Check us out, uh, Remote Takes. uh, You know, we're everywhere, just like like, uh, Talking Back is. All right. Well, if you want some more exclusive content from us, you can check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash talkingbackpodcast. We've got a lot of fun stuff going on over there. So if you haven't had your fill of us yet, check that out. And also please check out all of the podcasts on the Blast From Our Past Network. Lots of fun stuff going on. Tony and Jeremy, once again, thank you so much for joining. Thanks for having us. Dean, thanks for joining. Thank you, Tim. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll catch you next time.
everybody. I'm Corey. And I'm Zach. And we're the hosts of Podcasting After Dark, a cast dedicated to late-night horror and sci-fi of the 80s and 90s, often found on HBO and Cinemax. You know, the movies your parents didn't want you watching as a kid. You can find us every other week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, and Stitcher. This is what you want. This is what you get. Thanks for listening to the episode, everybody. We wanted to let you know if you'd like to show your support for Talking Back, then please check out our Patreon page where you can join one of our membership tiers and unlock bonus episodes and more each and every month. Or you can check out our page at buymeacoffee.com slash talking back where you can make a one-time donation of any amount or feel free to leave a positive review for us on iTunes. All three options are great ways to show your support for the show. That's it. We're done.